What's up, guys? JD here. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Jacob Zupke, president and CEO at Whisker. Now, these guys are the makers of the Litter Robot, which is the most high-tech litter box for cats you can imagine. It's Wi-Fi enabled. It's self-cleaning. It is something out of the future, but they're doing it today. Jacob joined the company a few years ago when it was doing about $7 million in revenue. Now, as president and CEO, he's got a company doing well over $100 million in revenue, and he's going to share a whole bunch of gold today. You guys are going to love this episode. Let me know what you think at johndavids.com. Of course, you can get me on LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. I'll talk to you guys there. Here is Jacob Zupke. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. Thanks, Jacob, so much for joining today. So just tell me, like, I was looking at your profile. I found you on LinkedIn, and the headline is President, CEO, Board Member, Whisker. And I don't know why, but I thought, oh, this guy must be a founder. But it looks like you didn't actually found this company, but you founded other companies. So give me like your quick background, and then tell me how you actually got into Whisker. Yeah, so going back to when I was really young, I started, you know, a landscaping business when I was like 13, 14, put flyers in mailboxes and got started. And when I was 16, I started my first legal entity of a bagel delivery company called TJ Bagel with one of my best friends. And we quickly learned that it is illegal to open people's mailboxes and put mail in there if you are not a registered mailman. And I got a call from the USPS and it was quite funny. So learn a quick early lesson. Okay. I did not know that. <laughs> it was a new one for me. And then uh, fast forward a couple of years, uh, I had started a series of different LLCs. I was going through college and also working. Started my first what I would call real company, which was called Oi What a Deal. It was a capitalizing on the quick success of Groupon, but focused on the community that I grew up in, which is the Jewish community in Metro Detroit, which is a very strong community which is intertwined with the rest of the greater Detroit community. And what we found was that we were really good at identifying the retailers in which could offer a deal that Groupon and places like Groupon were not able to get because they didn't have the local roots. And I had a buddy that worked at Groupon at the time who said that they were following all the deals that we got because we had already done the sales for them. And it was it was cool. And I learned quite a bit about what I want out of my entrepreneurial journey with respect to who I work with and how I work with them. And after I took a small exit from that business and decided I wanted to continue with college, as I was going into my senior year, I started a company with my adjunct lecturer at U of M Dearborn. It was called Traffic. And what I found is that I had a knack for helping people understand how they could use digital marketing to help their business grow. And with respect to Traffic, we landed two clients while I was actually finishing my final semester. One was a fellow student who was a CEO going back to school. And I was able to land them and and positively impact their business in a way that had just never been affected before in this kind of impact with respect to the results they were getting from their digital marketing spend. And it was really cool and eye-opening to me. So as I started interviewing for jobs right out of college, all the while knowing I wanted to be an entrepreneur and work for myself, I did want to have some security right there out of college. And by the time I graduated and had accepted an offer, 
our business was making more money than I would be making in a year in my salary. And wow. so it was kind of a comfort level to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and started traffic. And in uh, the first three years before I took a buyout myself, we were able to get it to over 2 million in agency billables, grow it to about 20, 22, 23 people when I left in 2015. And um, 2 million again, in top line, that's revenue. Yeah, top line revenues. And can so, you share what, what, what kind of margins you had at that time? You know, I think that's one of my early learning lessons on myself, which was that I wasn't keeping that as a scorecard for myself. And I think I learned a lot about how to grow a business and what not to do in a business. And that was not my focus was the, you know, I was really focused on how I could add a lot of value to our clients and how I could make sure that they were getting the value from the things that we were delivering to them and then trying to deliver a good employee experience. And I think I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my superpowers and that of what I want out of a business partner as well, which helped the shape where I went from there, which was eventually Whisker. Got it. Got it. So so just to kind of translate that, are you so you weren't keeping track necessarily of profitability. Did you run into cash flow issues or, or was that not an issue? You were just doing fine. Yeah, we were we were doing great. We had uh, a really great business at the personal level. I wasn't keeping that scorecard uh, at the time. My business partner was keeping those scorecards and was more focused on that. I learned a lot about myself with respect to what really matters and drives a business and what I need to be accountable for as a owner or contributor at the leadership level. And while I was mindful of the reality of our margins, and I do know about where we were. That wasn't my primary focus. And it's something that I forever learned from early on, fortunately, in my career. Got it. And then how did you get into... So that was 2015. And it looks like... Actually, I got to expand your profile here because it looks like... Oh, yeah. So you joined VP BizDev in 2015. Correct. So a contact that I had previously met about a year before reached out to me randomly after I had taken my exit from traffic. They reached out and they said that they were had joined this new company and they were interested in picking my brain on, you know, the new business. And at the time, I would say I was a dog person, which I would now call myself a pet person, probably favoring the feline, but I was definitely a dog person. And I was like, whoa, I don't really understand what this company does and why it's product is so valuable. But I went in and I uh, met with him and the founder. And the founder and I just kind of hit it off right away. His name is Brad. You'll hear me refer to him. But Brad and I really just connected. I went in there and I went at it from the standpoint of I know organic search very well. And I saw the volume of searches around this category and around this brand and felt like I could have a meaningful impact. And wanted to join and and see if I could go to the dark side and go brand side instead of agency side. And it's something I knew I wanted to do. And honestly, I, I couldn't be any more happy eight, almost eight years later that I you know took that chance and they took the chance on me. Yeah. Uh, how so? So a bunch of stuff there. So you joined 2015. How big was the company? So I think I was employee 23 at the time. And to fast forward to today, we are 515 people. And was it venture back at the time or bootstrapped? So we've been bootstrapped since 2000 when Brad founded the business. His father put in 35,000. They remortgaged their house to put that money into the business. And his father believed in Brad, Brad being the founder and entrepreneur, 
that he had this really great idea to reinvent the litter box and truly bring a solution that consumers would obsess over later on. And, you know, quite the exciting journey and happy to offer more color where you ask for it. Wow. Yeah, this is totally different from what... So it's so funny. When I saw your profile and I sort of dug into this, it's actually totally different. So this is a business that started around the year 2000 with a $35,000 investment from dad. And was it the father running it at the time? Or was it, is it the son's company the whole time? Brad? Son's company the whole time. Brad has been the founder and uh, a CEO up until end of 2021 when I took that role. And Brad and I have made for an awesome partnership the last 8 years. But the 15 years leading up to that, he foundationally built a company that allowed me to come in and you know, I would say finally have the right combination of phenomenal product and great marketing. And those two together really have blended well to create the success that we have over the last 8 years. And that's so what did... Was it e-commerce from the beginning or was it a bricks and mortar type business? Yeah. So Brad, from the moment he started, I knew that he wanted to be e-commerce and was a very early adopter of e-commerce and did not go into any retailers until a few years later. Then he went into some retailers and he realized that it was cannibalistic for his business because he was the one creating demand. And there wasn't a lot of natural demand for a three, four, five hundred dollar litter box at the time. And so he had to do that demand generation through having a great product. And when he would go on a retailer, they would essentially just bid on the keywords with respect to the Litter Robot brand. And they were ultimately cannibalizing sales for him. So what he found is that Amazon at the time was a really great discovery channel. But a lot of the other retailers we had passed and moved on from. And when I joined, it was Amazon and Direct.com. And we have carried about that strategy since then, adding one or two more retailers along the way. Got it. So you sell on Amazon now? We do. It's a small percentage of our business. And most of our business comes direct.com. So if you fast forward to 2022, you know we were just covered in Forbes. So our revenue is now a public figure. So I'm comfortable sharing that. Go for we'll it. Do about, it? 100, uh, about 180 million this year. Wow. Um, Growing from about seven million in 2015, so it's been a a really exciting eight years. And transformationally, the company has evolved time and time again over. And I think where we are today is still just the beginning of what we'll be able to do with products currently in the market and the new products coming out here in the coming years as well. So when I look, so I've got a, I've got a ton of questions. I, I actually I really want to get into the SEO side because as a marketing guy, SEO is the area that I know the least. I know how powerful it is, but I'm actually I love talking to SEO ninjas because I feel like it's really a superpower if you know what you're doing. But just so I understand this, because this business is so litterbox.com. If I'm a consumer, do I find you generally at litterbox.com? Is that your your front door? So good question. The analogy I would use is we did a really good job building our iPhone and we never stepped back to build our Apple. So drawing an analogy to a brand everybody can relate to, Litter Robot was such a great success that we never focused on building the brand behind Litter Robot. And so LitterRobot.com is primarily where most people shop for our product. You know, It gets over 1.5 million visitors a month and continues to grow from that end. Litterbox.com is an offshoot brand that we bought the domain and we built a brand behind it. That is a business that does well for us, not to the extent that Litter Robot does, but something that is growing and that will evolve in 2023 with respect to its identity and what it does at Litterbox.com. Longer term, Whisker.com will be our Apple.com. 
for lack of better analogies, it will be the flagship that we want to build all of our clout around. But it's also hard to move away from something that has so much momentum, which is LitterRobot.com with 22 years of domain history. So you talk about SEO with almost 20,000 inbound links with the clout of almost every notable publisher inbound linking to it with the correct anchor text, branded and non-branded. You can't recreate that overnight. And I don't believe that a redirect to Whisker.com would ever pass the domain clout that I believe Whisker.com would want to have and that LitterRobot.com currently has. And so it's a transformation that we're making over multiple years. But eventually to the move of Whisker.com being our flagship and LitterRobot.com being a product site. Okay, so so here's my my dumb guy take on this, not knowing all the details of the SEO side. So you've got basically three domains here: litter-robot.com, whisker.com, and litterbox.com. And litterbox and whisker seem to me like grade A domains. I mean, those are like commonly used words, and you have you have the .coms. But you're saying litter-robot.com is actually your number one domain in terms of the the gravity that it has and the traffic that it pulls in. So if I'm just if I was walking into the business today, I'd say, hey guys, let's make whisker.com our front door and everything else redirects. And that's our that's our Halo brand. But you're saying that's not the way to go because it would destroy the SEO side of things. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm sure I would be challenged on this from uh, fellow SEOs. But as a SEO myself, I just don't believe that the domain equity would truly pass along in the way that I think with how hard we've worked to create the domain authority around LittleRobot.com, I would not want to take the chance of redirecting that and hoping for the best with respect to passing that domain authority to Whisker.com. And so I believe that the best strategy for us today, based on what we have today, is to continue forward in the way that we have, which is to build Whisker.com over time and build the long-term brand equity in that. And then at a future point, go through a redirect should we get to that point. If I was starting the business today and I had the opportunity today to reshape it, it would be Whisker.com in the way that you proposed it, that being our flagship and these other domains redirecting into that and or being used for landing page experiences so that we can run those for campaigns, whether it be TV, podcast, or otherwise. But I would make Whisker.com the flagship. That's yeah. not where we're coming from. And so we've got to work with what we have. And ultimately, given the amount of traffic we get to LittleRobot.com, it's just not something that we're prepared to shut down or redirect today. Yeah, probably a good choice. And I said before, I'll just correct myself, LittleRobot.com is the actual domain. It goes to Litter-Robot, but but it, you actually have LittleRobot, which is an awesome domain too. You guys are sitting on some goldmine domains here. So let's take the conversation to SEO for a second because this, I think, is so informative to really anybody building an online business. And I've talked before about like simple high school business you could start today if you're in college would be like, have a website talking about real estate and then just make an affiliate business where you drive real estate leads to realtors. It seems to me like you could build a business like this, especially you know over the course of two decades, completely off SEO. And as you said, it's a nine-figure business. Did you guys primarily build this off SEO? I mean, am, am I right in thinking that? Organic search has been a, a major driver of revenue. But the problem is we're not in a category that exists today. So I'll draw a parallel to a company like Peloton. 
there are only so many people that were seeking a stationary smart bike when Peloton started. And if they had not gone out and created demand generation, the volume of people seeking smart stationary bikes likely would not have grown at the level that Peloton grew as a company. And we faced a very similar thing where we were creating a category that really hadn't existed, premium automatic litter boxes. And so if we had relied solely on organic search, the number of people seeking a smart automatic litter box, even taking out smart and just saying automatic litter box, that ranges anywhere from 80,000 to 100,000 people a month across the Google sphere from general uh, broad range automatic keywords. Litter robot is searched for over 200,000 times a month. So we are more than two times that of the category. If you look at the keyword growth of the last eight years, since we started to drive a ton of TV and paid social and connected and other forms of demand generation, we have grown not only the litter robot and specific our product awareness, we've grown the category awareness. And I think in no ego to ourselves here, I think that our, our peers in the, in the industry, those around us would suggest the same. The amount of advertising that we have spent, the amount of dollars that we put into the market to grow the category awareness over the last eight years has not only grown our business, but it's grown the category as a whole. And now with many others entering the category, I think that we have been able to create a, such a level of demand for a product like the Litter Robot that that has invited the general awareness to grow accordingly. So going back to your initial question, yes, organic search has been a pillar of our growth strategy, but we've also grown the, the category awareness, which in turn is the amount of people seeking smart automatic litter boxes from the demand generation we've done on and offline. Hopefully that helps answer your question. That makes a ton of sense. So I, I talk a lot about demand creation versus demand capture and how demand creation is like 90% of what marketers should be doing. And I'm, I'm mainly talking when I say that about B2B and, and high ticket B2C and also specialty items, like you said, where people aren't searching for that thing. They would love to buy it if they only knew it existed. It's almost like like the minivan, you know, soccer moms didn't know that this thing existed. No one was searching, not that there was search back then, but nobody was seeking out a minivan. But as soon as they saw it, they said, Oh, yeah, this is exactly what I need. This suits me perfectly. So that actually makes a ton of sense. And so what you had to do early on was say, Hey, we have to create awareness for the fact that this thing exists. And is that something that you did through organic search? Or did you have to do other things to, to create that demand? No, good question. So when I joined Brad, the founder, was really intent on driving high funnel awareness. He didn't call it that as a marketer, but that was his intent of what he was trying to do. And I just expanded on that and accelerated that. So when I joined, we were doing some basics of Google search and a little bit of Facebook. Don't quote me on this, but I believe that back in 2015, we were spending a whopping $10,000 a month on Facebook. That number is quite a bit larger now. And on TV, approximately 10,000 as well. Both of those numbers have grown immensely in the years since. We have focused on not trying to capture every sale. We have focused on creating demand for tomorrow. You don't know that you have a problem today when you haven't yet seen what the litter robot can do for your life. You may have been scooping the litter box for a year or 10 years, right? Depending on how long you've had a cat or maybe 50 years. 
you don't know that what you're doing today is a problem. And our biggest breakout campaign that we've done yet was in 2019. We created a campaign called Don't Be a Scooper. And we almost made scooping, being a scooper, like for lack of better words, a derogatory word, like a negative word. And we did it in a fun way where we poked fun at people scooping. And we tried to bring visibility to the reality of when your cat steps in a dirty litter box, what happens? And they're tracking it all over your house. Not only that, but they have to go into a dirty litter box. And I've often used the analogy that as human beings, we would never go into a dirty toilet without flushing first and use it. I mean, when we're subjected to a porta potty as human beings, yuck. And I think the reality is it's the same for a cat, but it hasn't been humanized in a way that had been, I would say, properly demonstrated before. And we did that. And that was a catalyst to accelerating our growth even more than we had. Leading up to that, we had done a lot of just awareness around how broken the traditional litter box was, tried to bring visibility to what we can offer the consumer. But it was that breakout moment where we realized that creating true awareness around how broken the current litter box was and what could be with a litter robot, that was a moment for us that we've continued to expand nonsense and something that really unlocked our next chapter of growth. That's awesome. The idea of, I call this like taking a commonly held enemy and throwing rocks at it. And it has to be, you know, it's good if it's an inanimate ob- like thing or a concept like, hey, scooping poop, that that's something. Or I see entrepreneurs who are building their entrepreneurship brand, they might throw rocks at the nine to five job. So it's interesting when you can take that because you very, very, you immediately capture the attention of folks that also feel that way. Like, yeah, I don't want to pick up poop. I I totally get that. And you're saying, hey, there's a better way, which they never knew existed. So that makes a lot of sense. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. And then... So if I go over here, if I look at Litterbox, uh, which is the next browser tab I have open here, are you selling different things? Or is it? are you trying to drive the same thing? Well, what are you doing here? Yeah, so the idea of litterbox.com was that of a destination for pet parents, specifically cat parents, to be able to buy nearly any accessory that they would want, from toys to beds to furniture. As a as a new pet parent myself in 2016, when my then girlfriend, now wife, and I started to you know spend more time together and I spent more time with her cat, I saw the reality of there wasn't a lot of modern furniture on the market and I wanted to solve a problem for myself, which was that I wanted a cool cat tree in my transitional style house, not something that looked like the traditional cat tree that those listening probably can picture in their heads. And that was a desire that I had and I wanted to solve for that. So we did. We invented and created our own line of furniture. And that was what litterbox.com was born from, was a need that I had, which was oftentimes pet care brands catered to the dog parent, not cat. We wanted a destination specifically for cat people. And that's what litterbox.com 
was to be. What we've realized was it has been a success. It depends on how you define success, overshadowed by the rest of our business that has been a larger success, but it has been a small success. And what we've realized is that it needs a deeper focus and it really needs a focus given the name on litter box related items. And that's what we'll be evolving towards in 2023 is a real deep focus on what we really solve for, which is the litter box and all of the relevant items that support the litter box whether it be things like cleaners, whether it be things like waste roll liners, whether it be a traditional litter box, whether it be a really nice scoop. You know, while we are not believers in scooping for those that still want to scoop, we do want to have a more refined scoop available to them. And so litterbox.com will evolve into something that really supports everything around the litter box and focusing on that. And then what is... So when I go to whisker.com, it takes me back to Litter Robot. And so is the idea eventually, in a year or two from now, they will all live under one hub? Like I'll go to whisker.com and I'll see three different tabs? Is that kind of the goal? Yeah. If you think about you know, apple.com as an example, you know, all of their products live in their navigation with their own respective categories where you can go and learn about each category. Longer term, Whisker.com would have more of that feel where each product has its own livable section where you can come and learn about something new that you're trying to still discover. I think we're still shaping what that's going to look like in 2023 is our focused area around that. With our recently expanded marketing team, we will all be coming together next year to really define what that looks like and how we'll bring that to life. How do you go from... I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be thinking, okay, so basically sounds to me like over 15 years, Brad took the company with 35000 bucks to about $7 million in sales, which is just a grind. That's like you're grinding it out for 15 years and that's, that's the entrepreneur journey. And then in the last 6 or 7 years, you went to $180 million or something like that. How do you do that? It feels like... I almost feel like you can't just be grinding it out to go from 7 million to 100 plus million. You've got to be doing some really smart things. Are there one or two or three things that you did that made all that impact? Or was it a whole bunch of other stuff? So counterintuitive to data-driven marketers, I try not to look at a lot of the data with respect to high funnel marketing other than time on site and the engagement with the website from those new users. So 2015, 2016, we focused on influencer. When influencer wasn't yet a word, it was like a social celebrity at the time. And in 2015, we launched a huge campaign around influencer and gave away 25 litter robots and it just popped for us. We went from about 35,000 visitors to over 300,000 visitors overnight. Literally. On, on YouTube you were doing or Instagram? It was all Instagram at the time. And it was something that I found myself as I was navigating Instagram one late night. And I was like, what if we just gave away a bunch of product and partner with these influencer celebrity cats to give them away? And it really worked. And that was 2015. That led into 16. And then 16, we grew by 80%. So what we started to do was drive a ton of high funnel traffic to the site. People that may or may not be ready to purchase today, but the next time their cat has an accident outside the litter box, the next time they're elbow deep and cat noose and they're scooping a really nasty one, they're going to remember us. And that's what we tried to do. And we tried to resonate that message with people so that they would remember who we are the next time they face that problem. And what we started to see was that our journey was closing the gap on how long it took someone to convert. 
2017, we continued that high funnel journey. We pivoted a little bit more towards a pay-to-play model, less about influencer because by the end of 2016, there were things called influencer marketing agencies and influencer marketing agents to represent the talent. And it started to get really expensive. So we started to move towards paid social, what I think now a lot of people would call you know, white label branded content. We started to do in 2017 and shift our dollars towards that. Still focus heavily on high funnel, over 60%, close to 80%, I believe, if I recall, of our dollars going towards high funnel, trying to educate tomorrow's customer about what they need today. And we continue to do that. And that was really the biggest thing that we did. And what would happen is within the next 90 days, we would start to convert that traffic. But if I had overanalyzed every single dollar that we were spending, we likely wouldn't have spent it because it would have been this constant and relentless focus on are we converting every visitor today? And the answer was no. And we were comfortable with that because it was enough where we weren't extending ourselves to a level that wasn't profitable. We've been profitable too. I want to share that. We've been profitable since 2005. And we have continued to grow within our own means. And that is something that I think has held us to a certain level of we can invest in the future, but we can only invest so much in the future without getting too far ahead of ourselves because we have to fund our own growth journey. And so even though we were focused on high funnel and not necessarily converting every customer, I think that belief that we could educate people on why they needed our product today for something that they in their eyes may need tomorrow or never. I think that helped us. And I think it allowed us to take a little bit of a risk as we started to get deeper. And then in 2019, like I said, with the spot, don't be a scooper. Once we started to have that breakthrough moment where we ran a campaign and all of a sudden it was converting even faster, we stepped on the gas. And during COVID... I remember it was the third week of March. We had our first dip in sales for two weeks in a row. And it was scary because we were building a new headquarters and building a new factory at the same time. And I remember we started really huddling up as a group and trying to figure out what to do. And I remember this mindset that I was checking the news every day. As somebody who has long been a news consumer, but not daily every morning watching the news, COVID got me doing that because I was so interested between what was a divisive election and a global pandemic that we have never experienced in our life, I was glued to the news. So we shifted all of our media dollars to the news channel as a bet. And we accelerated faster than we ever have previously that third week of April. And really that continued. And we kept double downing on the news because people were pulling out of media. So media rates were getting cheaper. And we were double downing at the same time. And it accelerated our business at a faster rate than we had moved before. So I think a lot of people would make the assumption that we benefited from COVID with extra money in the market and people getting pets. And I'm sure all of that had an influence. But the reality is our shift in strategy was the catalyst to that growth before stimulus money had started, before there was certainty around where the market was heading. We started to capitalize on the eyeballs. And I hate to say it in an insensitive way because we were also experiencing something that was unknown to the world. We took care of our people. We gave back to our people. We we gave emergency pay. We upped our wages considerably since that point. So we really did reinvest, double down in our people, double down on our strategy. And I think that paid off in a meaningful yeah. way. 
So let's go back here. So first of all, you're a purebred marketer through and through. You got SEO, influencer, you're building communities on social. We're sort of having parallel experience here. So my sort of upbringing in that space, 2013, I discovered the world of influencers and built one of the first influencer marketing companies. We were a tech company, but we were, you know, we eventually became one of the bigger influencer marketing firms. And it was all YouTube and then it was Instagram. But I saw early on in the cosmetic industry and in the food industry how powerful influencers were. And it was kind of an unfair advantage that brands who knew about it were getting versus those who didn't. And you were obviously one of them. And then a few years later, around 2018, my interest sort of pivoted to all these influencers are kind of doing their own thing. And that's great. But the real lesson here is that brands need to become influencers. The biggest brands right now, and look literally right now, you see brands like Feastables, uh, you know, Mr. Beast, and you see uh, Kylie uh, Cosmetics. Like those are influencer brands. But even if you're a normal brand, just a traditional brand, a whisker or anybody else, you need to be building your own influencer channels. I call them communities or you know, becoming a media company. It's all the same thing. You got to be the one who's influencing the industry. And you guys have done that like masters. I mean, this is a pretty amazing story. And, and the, results, the results are right there. You know, Nine-figure revenues. You can't argue with that. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I think for me personally, you know, Wendy's is a great example of somebody that you want to follow. It's funny to watch their personality come to life through Twitter. And you know, it's it's very few brands who I can think about, right? I'm not I don't I'm not a frequenter of a Wendy's. I don't eat a lot of fast food myself, but I love their brand. And I love their brand because of their tone that they've brought to their messaging and communication strategy publicly. And it makes me want to follow a brand. And then there are brands like for me personally, I'm a huge fan of Delta Airlines. And with respect to Delta, I enjoy following their CEO because I find him to be such a solid influencer. And that as a fellow business person, I enjoy seeing how he leads culture at Delta. And for me, I want to follow that because I love the brand, because I think that they do great things. And I think to your point, it's you have to become that. You have to want to build that. I think that we have a lot of work to do. And that's a big focus for us in 2023 with defining that whisker voice. I think it's long been one that is humor and one that I believe brings out awesome advertisements. But I think with respect to our organic social and the community that we want to build and help to influence, that's an area of opportunity that I'm really excited about at the personal level. What's the playbook? So it's easy to see how you'll take this, or it's I, it's just pretty good chance you'll take this to 500 million and a billion over the next few years. There's a path to get there. If you were starting today, or if you were to leave Whisker and, and start something else or join something else, let's say on, on the more startup side, maybe they have a few million in revenue. What are the playbooks today that you would use to kind of get to that 20, 30, 50 million dollar point in revenue? I would say it's finding that emotional connection with the consumer that in our case was a little bit risky in that we took a chance of offending people. And I'm a big believer that if you have such a vanilla message that doesn't necessarily... I don't want to use the word offend, but possibly not resonate with a group of people, but then really deeply resonates with another group, I think you have to be willing to take that chance. I think if I had to start over today, it would be a combination of you know, heavy paid social with the right UGC 
focused content to drive that connection of real users, but then the paid social element being the ability to quickly reach more users with that message. I think TV, while that is a... We were spending more on TV until 2021 than we were on paid social. So the brands that got really cheap paid social clicks, we were not ever really one of those. We were on paid social and we were using paid social with a six-figure budget. But it wasn't coming close to what we spent on TV. And I think that was one of the catalysts to our accelerated growth was double downing on TV because it's such an impactful medium and that we as Americans, we as people tend to see something on TV and have an inherent level of trust, I believe. I believe that when we see it on TV, there's just this element of they must be reputable because anybody can run a Facebook ad. And I think we're seeing that more and more with fraud that has come to Facebook, that people that have fake brands... I was reading something this morning about how someone bought a fake pair of Bombas socks from a Facebook ad, even being a previous Bombas shopper. And it just hit home to me because we have the same thing right now. Anybody can run a Facebook ad. It takes a certain level of investment and reputability to get onto TV. And I think for us, that was really impactful. So I may not lean towards that today, even though it was so impactful. I think the reach is a little diluted with the move to connected. And we haven't found that return from connected we did from linear. So I'd probably double down on paid social. I'd double down on UGC content. I would have a robust direct content strategy because our blog brings in hundreds of thousands of visitors a month. And while it may not convert at the same level as the rest of our site, it does create a future awareness about our product. So I would definitely get deep into content. And then I would focus deeply on what your website experience is. We have reinvented our site almost every year since I joined the company. In fact, multiple times a year in some cases. You know, I view it as a showroom. I view it as an opportunity to continually test and reinvent and change the way that it looks and feels to the consumer to try and figure out what iteratively will move us forward. And I think that's incredibly key as you're building a D2C brand. And something that I think once you define what that looks like and how that resonates, you should continue testing. It may not be a total overhaul, but for us, that's part of how we got here. And I think, you know, it's that for me would probably be another pillar of the strategy. So I'd probably look deeply at UGC paid social and what my website experience was. And then I would probably lean into testing other areas as well. TikTok, Pinterest, and I was gonna okay. So I wanna I wanna just finish on that point. What's your take on TikTok? This by the way, there's a lot of craziness now about how TikTok might be banned. I think that's like completely nuts, by the way. But you know, I want to get your take on that. And would you be putting your your money on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, obviously all of them, but where would you really focus the most? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at proven channels and Facebook and Instagram are proven reputable channels that sure, while people may comment on the, the the general content that lives on both of those social platforms nowadays isn't what it used to be. At the whisker level, we still see that being a really strong channel for us. I think with respect to TikTok, we're driving a ton of awareness and traffic through it. I think with respect to the ROAS, it's still too early to tell because it's evolved so quickly. I mean, yes, it has a positive ROAS. Is it at the same return level? Return on advertising well? spend for those oh. who don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, return on advertising spend with respect to what ROAS is. For us, I think that TikTok is still a, a learning tool for us. You know, personally, I'm 
I believe that YouTube is more opportunistic for us right now, but we are leaning heavily into TikTok. I think the problem for us is we haven't nailed yet our organic strategy and our reach on TikTok organically isn't what it could be given that we are in poop and cat, both of which are synonymous with the internet (laughs) and something that I believe could be a lot of a greater reach. But that is an area that we'll be really leaning into in 2023. I think Facebook and Instagram have a proven moneymaker in that if you can get your content right and you can continually test... We spend a lot of money on content testing. We are putting out new content very frequently to figure out what works. And we are willing to take a bet on content risks that we would put a lot of money into content that may or may not make it. And we continually test that. Just because we lose money on one does not mean I stop tomorrow. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Listen, man, I can go on all day. This is such good stuff. What do you want to tell people? Where can they find you in 2023? Learn more. So uh, I think Whisker has some pretty cool things coming to market in 2023. The Little Robot 4 was our big one for 2022. And of course, that had its uh, challenges with supply chain and our launch. And we have worked through most of those. But really excited about what 2023 has in store for us. If you have a cat and that cat poops, I highly encourage you to try out the Litter Robot at LitterRobot.com. And for those that may be on the fly and need to remember it, we do proudly own CatPoop.com and that will redirect to Litter Robot's website. You, you uh, are a domain... Like, these domains, the domains could be the whole business. These are golden domains, man. We have over 500 domains, all of which have been a fun project over the years, both domestically and internationally. So... That would also be something I encourage people to do as well is to make sure that they really have their plan in place for what their brand could evolve to later on. Because we've owned Whisker since 2016 and we didn't even introduce it until 2021, all the while knowing we wanted to get there, but at the right time. And we fortunately bought litterbox.com and whisker.com and a lot of other domains earlier in 2015 and 2016. And you know those will come part to be our strategy in 2023 and beyond. Let me just ask you this last question. Do you see... Because I'm just I'm lo- taking this all in and I'm checking everything out. And every click, I find more stuff. Could this just be the next giant pet Holdco? Like, could, could you just own pets? Or is that, is that not the direction? Yeah. So... Our outlook is to solve problems for pet parents. We want to focus on the things that we believe have the greatest impact. And from our perspective, we believe what we would call our product trinity, food, water, and waste is really where we want to double down on to get started. With respect to the litter box, there's a lot of opportunity in the insights. With respect to feeding, I think we all know the benefits and the um, ability to understand how our pet is consuming food and making sure that we have the right foods with the right mix for them to make sure that they're at their healthiest peak that they can be. And then with respect to water, it's not a product we have on the market today. And yes, I'm alluding to future product development that we are working on. But uh, we believe that food, water, and waste are key to our product trinity. And then we do have some other really exciting products that we believe will help to build our ecosystem. But uh, drawing the analogy back to Apple, I think one of the reasons that Apple has been as successful besides for their amazing technology and their user experiences is that the network 
whether it's the network externality, the idea of one product being bought into the other product and creating this network effect. And I think that's what Apple has done such an amazing job with. And between our digital product tying together our physical products, I think that that is a huge opportunity for us to be really the first in pet to do that and to add the immense value that we believe we can add flagging a UTI in my cat at home, which was near and dear to me when we first launched the app. That was really an eye-opener for what was possible. And now with weight tracking and irregular use tracking and some of the things we'll be bringing out in 2023, we have a very, very focused effort of nailing those three categories first and then expanding from there based on things that make sense that would add to our network effect of why you want to shop Whisker and why you believe you should have a Whisker home for your pet. I love how you're thinking about this. You are a gangster, my man. This is like, this is so good. It's so good. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I say that because a lot of people in your position would not be able to focus as you are. Like they kind of want to do everything. And it seems like you have so many opportunities in front of you, but you're nailing down, staying in your lane and making sure that you can actually think strategically through, hey, you know, we could do any one of these 20 things, but these one or two things are going to have the most impact. I mean, that's think, awesome. For any one of our 515 people listening, I think they would suggest that I have been quite distracted over the years with opportunity. And I think that for 2023, we have a clear set of goals. We are approaching it differently than we have historically because we recognize where our time is best spent and where we're going to have the greatest impact. And I think we've learned from our own, I'll call them opportunities along the way that have helped us refine our focus on what truly matters and where we can really see the best return on our time. And so for those team members here at Whisker, I think that that's important for me to say because it definitely has not always been this focus effort and this streamlined approach of what truly has the greatest impact on our time. This was awesome. Jacob, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, leave a rating or review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. We'll talk to you guys next time.